If you would, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. The last several weeks we have been going through chapter 5, 11 through 21, and we've really been talking about what gospel ministry is and really what the heart of the gospel is. And in this section of scripture, as you'll shortly see, it's going to talk about that because of what the gospel is and because of what gospel ministry is, we are called to respond to the gospel today. But then not only respond to the gospel, we're also supposed to live in light of the gospel. And that's going to seem like a very strange type of lifestyle, and I'll explain that more in a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you enlighten us that we might see and behold wondrous things here. Father, you know exactly, yet again, you know exactly what we need to hear, when we need to hear it. And this is one of those texts that is certainly always relevant. Would you do your work in us? Would you bring us to you? Would you bind up the brokenhearted? And would you call sinners into salvation? Lord Jesus, we ask all this in your name. Amen. We really do believe that God is so sovereign that even before time began that he knew exactly what word would be preached to these people at this time despite everything going on. And for many of us, if not all of us, all of us certainly at some level, many of us more pertinently, this is going to be a text, particularly that middle part that I think will speak very uh, clearly relevantly 
to various issues. What we see here is that in true gospel ministry, true gospel ministry involves looking to Jesus, it involves living like Jesus, and it involves loving like Jesus. And what we see in verses 1 and 2, and we're just going to jump right into it, we see that it is time to look to Jesus. Very clearly there, look at verse 1. Leave your Bibles open because I want you to keep following along with me. Working together with him, the him there is God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Brothers and sisters, it is time today to look to Jesus Christ. And through our ministry, as we are faithful to God's word, Jesus is calling you to respond to him and to his grace. Amen? Oh, come on now. We need to wake up a little bit. Jesus is calling us, as the gospel is preached, he is calling us to respond to him, to not put it off, but to say, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, uh, one of my mentors used to say, tomorrow's the devil's day. He always wants you to delay it. He always wants you to put it off and say, let me live my life now. My friends, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to respond to Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He calls us, even in chapter 5, verse 20, he says... That as God has sent us out to evangelize, he calls us ambassadors. That word literally is where we get the word Presbyterian. Uh, Let's just be reminded, uh, really in a lot of ways, every Christian is a Presbyterian. That word, uh, presbuo, is one that means an ambassador. It is someone who is sent from an embassy, is how it was used in Greek language. It's someone who represents people and negotiates with them. Even in Greek literature, it was used in the political sphere uh, as someone who is commissioned on behalf of others to give authority and represent nations. Every Christian who belongs to Jesus Christ is an ambassador for Christ. Where you go, whether across the street or around the world, God has sent all of his people on mission to be an ambassador of the heavenly embassy. All of us, whether we are a stay-at-home mom or whether we're a CEO of a business or whatever it might be, whether you're a janitor or whether you own Nike, I don't know why Nike is always the one that comes to my mind, but wherever God has called you, you, dear Christian, are an ambassador. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ, in all of his sovereignty, has sent you, not someone else, he has sent you to those particular people to minister to them, even in the stage and season of sanctification that you're in. Because Jesus is seeking to call the lost into his flock. Amen? Oftentimes we can think that 
Oh, I'm not sure if uh, I'm the right person. I think we, you know, we need to get uh, either, we've got to get the pastor in here. And there are the times where obviously the pastor is needed. But there are some times, brothers and sisters, where actually you are in the best spot to tell someone about Jesus. Because sometimes you have that personal relationship with another person that a lot more learning, though, can be helpful in other ways. What they need right there is that relationship, and you simply telling them the gospel is what the Lord uses. It says we're working together with the Lord. As Christ acted on behalf of us when he went to the cross, so in a very strange way, we act on his behalf as we tell others about him. This is your confidence. That your success in evangelism and telling others about Jesus does not depend on you. Amen? That is good news. Rather, what's happening? Jesus is speaking through you. Matter of fact, this actually gives us a definition of actually what preaching is. And Romans 10 would say this. That as the gospel is preached, Christ is present speaking to his people. Some Reformed theologians call it where, in a strange way, it's as if there's that voice within a voice. So here's what preaching is. As long as preaching is faithful to God's word, it is not the preacher's opinion. It is Christ telling you what the gospel of grace is. And that is phenomenal news for those of us who are coming in thinking, there's no way that Christ loves me. But it is also very sobering news to those of you who say, I am fine where I am. That's just his opinion. God is calling us from his word to respond today. When Philip, the bishop, Philip Brooks, was recovering from an illness, uh, he denied seeing all visitors while he was in the hospital. But there was a, a famous agnostic, someone named Robert Ingersoll, and uh, Phillips uh, Brooks called only Robert Ingersoll to come see him at once. Obviously, uh, Ingersoll was very perplexed as to why he, of all people, was called to come see Phillips uh, Brooks. And he said to Brooks, I appreciate this very much, but why do you see me when you deny yourself to all of your friends? Here's how Phillips Brooks responded. Well, you see, I feel confident of seeing my friends in the next world, but this may be my last chance of seeing you. My friends, all we are called to do is be faithful to Jesus Christ. He will, he will get his people. But we're called to be faithful just to say what we're supposed to say when we're supposed to say it. And we appeal to people. That's what it says next. Working together with Christ as ambassadors, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Why do we do that? Well, verse 2. For... He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Now, maybe in your Bibles, you see that maybe it's indented, and uh, you see maybe a letter next to that saying it's, it's uh, quoting something. Maybe you have it 
in your Bible, we're at the bottom. There's a footnote where it says Isaiah 49, verse 8. Well, this is exactly what Paul is doing. He is quoting the Old Testament. In Isaiah 49, God is telling his servant, who we know would be fulfilled in Jesus, Jesus would be the ultimate servant that Isaiah was prophesying about, God has listened to his servant and he is going to come to help him to fulfill his mission of salvation. Paul is quoting that and he is saying, because salvation has been accomplished today in this new covenant era, in this new age, today is the favorable moment to respond to Jesus. Amen? Today is the time. And that means this. It means that responding to God is the most important thing in your life right now. There is no job interview. There is no family concern. There is no health concern. Though those things are very important, but there is absolutely nothing that compares to responding to Jesus right now. I'm not even going to tell you to wait till the end of this sermon. This is the altar call. Jesus is calling you to respond to him and say, I believe. Because it is that urgent. I have a friend of mine who is the RUF campus minister down at South Florida, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's also one of those guys where I, sometimes when I say a friend of mine in ministry, it tends to be him. And uh, he actually texted me and another one of our good friends who's also in RUF. And he texted us to say, I need you guys to pray for me because one of my students just died unexpectedly. Very interestingly, kind of like Scott Houston, at least from what we could see, is that it was only within the past probably year or a couple of months that this girl at South Florida became a Christian. She grew up in a Mormon home. But she came to hear the gospel. My friends, I don't mean to unnecessarily scare you, but I do mean to sober you. You don't know when your last breath is. Today is the day to respond to Jesus. And some of us need to go and tell those people who are in our lives, and we need to tell them, today is the day to respond. This is why Jesus came. Often we have excuses for why we don't respond to Jesus. Sometimes we don't respond because we think we're too sinful. But my friends, the only types of people Jesus came to save are those who are sinful. There are he doesn't save good people who just need a little bit of help. He came to save real sinners with real sin. There is no sin that you have that can possibly match up to his infinite grace. You just need to look to him and be saved. Some of us think maybe I'm, I'm too hard-hearted. I just don't think I can get my act together. Well, that's good news because it's not up to you to get your act together because the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. Amen? You're just called to look to Jesus right now, today. Maybe you're thinking, I've, I've, I've lost too many chances. I've too often, I've prayed the prayer and I've said all these other things, but I'm still living my own life and I, I, I don't even know why I'm here this morning. I, I don't think God wants me anymore. My friend, 
the reason why you are breathing still on this side of heaven or even on this side of hell is so that you would respond to Jesus today. He is calling you to believe in him today. Some of you are saying, I'm just too busy to respond right now. My friends, nothing, absolutely nothing is more important than responding to Jesus today. You might think some of this Christianity stuff does not make sense. Well, here's the thing. There are still several things that the Bible teaches about God who is the infinite one, and not everything is going to make sense because, I hate to spoil it, you and I are finite. You are not called to know absolutely exhaustively everything about, what, about who God is and what he's done. You're called to believe that Christ is the Son of God who took on flesh and who was born of the virgin and who lived the perfect life and who died the substitutionary death and who rose again from the dead and who is in heaven right now and he will come again. Amen? With all due respect, you don't have any valid excuses. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. You are called to respond to Jesus today and he will take you. Today, is the day of salvation. And Paul says that whenever we look to Jesus, our lives do change, and maybe not the way that we expect. Look at verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And Here's how we commend ourselves to others. This is very strange and not a very popular teaching today. Paul says, by great endurance in a lot of successes in life, right? That's what it says, very clearly. The Christian life is amazing. Health, wealth, prosperity. No, here's what it says. In afflictions, hardships, Calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And as we go about those things, by by purity and knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And we do so even through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. As we do so, we are treated as imposters, and yet we're true. As unknown, yet well-known. As dying, but behold, we live. As punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. What a weird, let's just be honest. I'm not trying to be irreverent. What a weird thing that God is calling us to. But this is what it means to live like Jesus. It is not only the time to look to Jesus, but it is the time to live like Jesus. What Paul is doing here is he's very clearly been saying that there is not only the logos of our ministry, there is the the speech, there's the word. Uh, We teach people truth. Also, there is, as we were just mentioning, there's also the element of persuasion in our ministry. That is the pathos. That is, we are appealing, passionately appealing to people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also the ethos of ministry. 
And that means that our ethos, our ethics, our character is mirroring Christ's life. Luther describes how there are essentially two different worldviews people can have, whether believers or unbelievers. And the two different worldviews are either this. There's either the theology of glory, or there's the theology of the cross. The theology of glory is what common sense would tell us. And it would say something like this. Well, surely if God was going to really use our ministry, then things would go well. People would always listen to us, and there would be immediate change that would always happen. We would think that because God is our God, everything's going to happen exactly the way it's supposed to happen, at least in our eyes, and it's going to be glorious. But that's not the way things happen. But there's another worldview, and it's the theology of the cross, As Christ went from the cross to glory, so we also only enter glory through our own crosses. As Christ was dying, when everything about it appeared most unglorious, he was saving a multitude of people. When people were looking at him and at Golgotha and they saw that man who was beaten and he was smitten and he was upon the cross and they thought, who in the world is he? If he was really God, then get yourself down from that cross. But it was because he was God who had taken on flesh that he was reconciling man to God. The things that happen in our life, God is often doing the very reverse even though we can't see it. That's the theology of the cross. God works through what appears to be the very opposite thing. We actually can see this even in the ways God has created our world. I've used this example before. I think it's worth using again. But how do muscles build up and get stronger? Well, actually, as you're working out, they break down. How do seeds become trees? They go into the ground and die, and then they grow. Even this, how how do loving relationships actually happen? Actually, by us being vulnerable and showing humility and dying to ourselves and forgiving the other person. Oftentimes, the things that are good that God is going to do, they happen in what appears to be the opposite. Paul is saying That true gospel ministry is not the theology of glory, it is the theology of the cross. And that means in very strange ways that sometimes God will take us, maybe individually or collectively, through what appears to be the opposite to produce the good. Paul says, as we go through these moments... We do so by great endurance. In other words, it's not easy. It requires endurance. Let me go through this list of things that he mentions. He says, we go through, actually, afflictions. Afflictions means pressures from outside of you and also pressures from within. Charles Hodge, the... Uh, old Presbyterian theologian says, everything which 
The, the afflictions are everything which presses on the heart or exhausts us uh, from being uh, those who endure. In other words, it's, it can be pressures from the world outside of us so that we would not be faithful to God's word. It can be pressures from those around us who would not want us to speak the truth in love because it will, it will result in them not liking us. There's also pressures from Satan himself and his army to tempt you to despair. Whether to despair over your own sin or to despair that as you're being faithful to God, as you're telling others about Jesus, but no one's responding. I've preached to a lot of middle schoolers over the years. And let me tell you something. <laughs> you learn, when you're doing it in the moment, you're thinking, nobody's listening. And then all of a sudden, years later, you'll have someone say, I was converted then. And you say, I did not think you knew I existed. But even more truly to this text, there are afflictions that happen to us. There are hardships. Hardships means when you're at a loss to know how to even take a step forward in faith. Hardships mean when you don't know if you can even live one more day in faithfulness while these circumstances are still going on. Calamities. When I was looking up this Greek word, literally the, forgive me if you don't relate to this, but the best picture I could come up with was in uh, one of the Star Wars movies, whenever Luke, Leia, Han Solo, and Chewie are in the trash heap and the doors are closing in on them. They're, they are pressed and seemingly no way out. It is very interesting that God loves to act on our behalf whenever we're between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Paul says even specifically for him and sometimes specifically for his people throughout the ages, there have been beatings, there have been imprisonments, there have been riots, not riots we partake in, but riots that happen because of what we're teaching. But there are also these things such as labors, sleepless nights, and hunger, things that we even vol voluntarily enter into because of the work of gospel ministry. Paul says that actually one of the ways God bears fruit is when we labor in ministry. Labor means legitimate hard work that can be exhausting. We talk a lot about rest today, and that is very important. And it is the Sabbath day, and that is the day of rest. There are definitely things we need to listen to about burnout and all those different things. But sometimes we talk so much about rest that we think God doesn't, we don't deserve to break a sweat on behalf of ministry. Paul's telling us the opposite. I've heard people say this over the years, and it's very true. Please do not think that pastoral ministry is just going to Starbucks and having your favorite coffee and having wonderful conversations all the time. It's also sleepless nights. That can be either from the travel that is involved in ministering to others. Sometimes you get those late night calls and you got to drive several hours to go help someone. Sometimes you get a late night phone call because someone is very close to ending their life. Or maybe they're the sleepless nights because of just the general worry you have about the people you're ministering to. 
That's a real thing. Matter of fact, from this text, we very much can see that a qualification for being an elder or a deacon in Christ's church is someone who would wrestle with the state of God's flock. One thing that I cannot encourage you enough in is please do not hesitate to call your elders and your deacons. Don't do that. This is literally what we're called to do. One of the things we'll be talking about in our officer training is there's got to be this burden for the sheep. If a man is not gripped by the eternality of souls, about how each person will have to give an account, if he's just casually going about that, then he's not qualified for office. Ministry's hard. It also has times of hunger. This could mean uh, situations whenever you are going to minister to certain people and you know there's not going to be a lot of resources there. It can also mean times of fasting and prayer. To be sure, all these things can be done, and the Pharisees were doing some of these, they can all be done in self-righteousness. But this is what Paul is saying, that as we go about these things, they are to be done in a certain way, and that's what gives us, in verse 6 and 7, this next part. He says, when we go about these things, we're to do so in purity. Purity means sincere affections for God's glory rather than man's praises. That is something all of us must strive to be sanctified in. We're also to do so with knowledge. And particularly what Paul is talking about here is you're to go through these times of suffering with knowledge of the gospel of grace. In other words, the gospel and the Bible is never left behind in our suffering. Matter of fact, it, it should be most prominent in our times of suffering. Partaking in the means of grace, immersing yourself in the life of church, of the church should be most prominent in times of suffering. And matter of fact, maybe there are those of us or those of us who we know who are deeply in despair and depression. And the big, one of the biggest temptations there is to think, I just, I can't do it today. And you know what? Sometimes we got to go to them. And we got to help encourage them, come in. Receive the means of grace. But it also, it takes patience. You see that there, patience in verse 6, this means long-suffering. This means to patiently submit to injustice at times. This is not at all popular today because our world is constantly screaming justice, 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 justice. No mercy, no patience, no time to waste. The gospel's different. The gospel is about justice more than the world could ever be about justice, but the gospel is also about patience. And sometimes that means that when unjust things are happening and when we're getting undeserved injuries, we must continue to be faithful, not just sometimes, but all the time. We must continue to be faithful to God and his word. Sometimes that means we'll go through seasons where we have to remember this truth. Just be patient. The truth will reveal itself. There are going to be times when... when 
we will suffer certain things and we will feel like no one's advocating for us. My friends, all we're called to do is just be faithful to God. He will reveal the truth. Amen? We're to do so in kindness. That means having a a disposition towards someone of doing good even when they wrong you. That's a strange thing today. The only way we can do that is by the Holy Spirit that Paul brings up next. In other words, there's no way you can do this on your own strength. You can't. And that's the whole reason why you need God. There's no way we can sing whate'er my God ordains is right on our own power. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can enable us to endure. So we must be utterly dependent upon him. And matter of fact, strangely, how do you know one of the ways in which God is growing you in holiness? Strangely, whenever your faith is very tried. And when you have to learn to cling to his word, even though it seems like there's no way forward. Paul also says that we're to go about these seasons of suffering with genuine love. And in particular, he's talking about love towards God and love towards other believers. And remember, he is talking about this even as he's talking to the Corinthians. Remember, the Corinthians were ready to get rid of Paul. This is not a guy in a comfortable ministry setting saying, Hey, you guys are great. Let's talk about this. They did not, they were literally at the point of of almost saying, We're totally done with you. But Paul wrote four letters to them, only two we have recorded, and he had numerous visits to them. And he says, we're to act in genuine love. And that means even when others hurt us. Now that does not mean that we just fully trust someone. And that does not mean that we endure what is genuine, real abuse. That is not what he's saying. But there are many things that are very uncomfortable. There are many things that, we're, that are very uncomfortable. Just like what Christ went through. And we are called to faithfully endure those things with genuine love. What helps us get through these times? This is what Paul gets to next in verse 7. By truthful speech. He's particularly talking about the preaching of the gospel of grace. That is what helps us, what, what empowers us, what heals us. And this is a big thing. Oftentimes when we get in seasons of suffering, we can think that we only need to go to either biblical counseling or the professionals. But if you're neglecting worship, none of that other stuff will help in the end. You don't need an either-or approach. You need a both-and approach. You need, first and foremost, you need worship because nothing transforms you like the Word of God as you worship Him. But it's the power of God that helps us get through these times. It's not our own strength. I cannot say it enough, but let us repent of thinking, well, I can really make it through this if I just look within and love myself and have a lot of self-esteem. No, you can't. But God can get you through. He gives us weapons of righteousness. This is not weapons in the sense of attacking others. This is weapons in the sense of being defended from the attacks. And particularly, 
It's weapons of righteousness. What Paul means is that he is saying your defense in times of suffering is your justification. Here's how this makes sense. Whenever you're going through seasons of suffering, physical suffering, spiritual warfare, relational suffering, whatever it might be, often the first thing we're tempted to doubt is this. Are me and God good? Am I still saved? Is this, is this a sign that he's turned against me? Paul is definitively saying that is not the case, dear believer. Because once you have been justified by Christ, you are forever justified. And one of the things you must really bear down on in that moment of suffering is to know you are justified. Amen? And you know what? Oftentimes when we're in these seasons, especially when you're in the depths of depression, you need other people to tell you that. Because it is is so hard to believe. Satan loves to attack our assurance of salvation during suffering. He loves to make us think, well, if you were really justified, why would God let you suffer like this? But in a strange way, what God does actually in those seasons, even when he allows Satan to tempt us in that way, it makes us cling to the word. Cling to the word. And in that process, he's growing our faith. It's crazy. (laughs) And this is why, why we say, why are we above everything else? Why are we for the gospel of grace? Because in all these different seasons of life, we put just the ordinary means of grace above everything else because that is what we need. Grace Presbyterian Church, and those of you who have been here over many years or even short years, this is a very relevant text. Individually, collectively, things that we know, things that we don't know. It is a strange thing what God is doing. Here's what's actually true during our times of suffering. We do so through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. It is interesting. I know of an older minister in our denomination who even this week I had someone talking to me saying some truly awful things about him and others. And, but I know this man and he is genuinely a man who is above reproach and faithful to God. And matter of fact, it's It's actually because of that that he is often slandered. Even Charles Spurgeon himself. So be careful if you say, I want to be the next Spurgeon. Be careful what you ask for. Because Spurgeon once said that his name had been so ridiculed amongst London that it was a name that had been like a soccer ball kicked around the world. But he he would have said football because I'm just trying to contextualize. People think that as we embrace the gospel and as these, what appears to not be the most success, it, people will think we're imposters, but yet God says, but you're true. Oftentimes we are unknown, but yet in God's eyes we are well known. And let us be reminded that it is not churches that are big, flashy, 
very relevant, real ministries, whether here in Stillwater or beyond, that does not necessarily make them churches who are known by God. It's faithful churches that are known by God, and it is the faithful churches that Satan fears. He fears a faithful church that has 10 people in it more than he does an unfaithful church that has 10,000 people in it. I have a friend of mine who some would say he lives in nowhere, Mississippi. But I know the ministry that he's doing and the faithfulness of his ministry, and I can guarantee you that the devil fears him more than many of the other big thousand-member churches that are out there that are not preaching the gospel. I've literally had people tell me before over the years that, well, it's just really hard to get people to go to Stillwater because the cities, cities are where real ministry happens. My friends, it does not matter where you go, but the ministries that are truly known by God, no matter where they are, are the ones that are faithful. Dying yet living. So strange. As we take up our crosses, God is sanctifying us, and one day we enter into glory. Punished but not killed. Sorrowful yet rejoicing. That's, that's just, I'm, I, it's, I just, it's crazy. But this is what the cross does. It turns things upside down. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing but possessing everything, because what could be more than having the king of glory? What could be more than having Christ? My friends, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. There are people in the Payne County Jail right now who are more rich than you if you do not believe. Because they have Jesus Christ. And that is what's so strange about the gospel. But it's also what's so hopeful about the gospel. Because it means that suffering is never the last word. Amen? And it means we must repent of the modern victimhood mentality. We are saints, we are sinners, and we are sufferers. But my friends, sufferer is not your biggest identity. Your suffering is not inevitable. God is inevitable. We must repent of the victimhood mentality, regardless of anything that's going on. Because if you have Christ, he knows exactly what you need. And in very strange ways that you can't even see yet, he is definitively going to work all things for his glory and your good. And he's never been defeated in that. And you and me are not going to be a unique case. My friends, this is why we need to continue to look to Jesus. Because life often does not make sense. And it is okay and very, very important at times to recognize that and say that. Because when the cross was happening, the cross did not make sense to Jesus' disciples. But the resurrection changes everything. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, your suffering is never the last word. And matter of fact, God is doing exponentially more than you could ever imagine, no matter what suffering is happening in your life. Amen? That's a word to believe. Let's pray. Our Father.
It is hard to trust that there really is the sun on the other side of the clouds whenever it's cloudy. It's hard to trust that there is heaven just through the door of death. It's hard to trust that you are sanctifying us even as you show us our sin. But the good news of the gospel is that you are. Father, pray that through your sovereign grace, would you help us to believe that the gospel really is true and that it changes everything. And may we seek to do ministry according to that. We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.